let me tell you, when you're spending all your time in the duplex that you're renovating, you suddenly realize how much you hate your duplex. Just kidding. I do love it. Welcome to the Thought Feeder Podcast. I'm Joel Goodman here, as always, with John Steven Stancil. And we have a very special guest. Our good friend Aaron Sapinka is going to join us today. And we're so happy to have you, Aaron. Thanks for thanks for coming on the pod. I'm so excited to be here. I've been listening since, I think, day one. And Woo-hoo. I just really like what you two are doing. Well, thanks. we're big fans of your work as well. And um, we recently asked some questions to our... Um, to our audience and and one of the biggest responses we got what people want to hear is some advice for people starting out in the field of uh social media and digital marketing and higher ed and we thought you would be the perfect person to bring on uh just because you know really i think your career has been a meteoric rise uh from when you first started uh doing social media to to, to, to where you are are today and I remember the first time we, we we met in person at uh, Hyatt Webb in Sacramento, and uh, just just sitting down and, and and talking to you, and just blown away by by not just the wealth of knowledge you have on the topic of 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 social media and higher ed, but of working in higher ed and getting everybody on board and working together, which can be one of the biggest challenges of the job. So we'll start with the basic question. I mean, what advice do you have for those folks who are just getting their start? I just got hired at a university in these um, unprecedented times. Hey, but do you know that we've had another pandemic? So it's not unprecedented. There has been, there is precedent (laughs) for this. But specifically, you know, how, how can those starting out just navigate some of the university politics and actually get, not just get work done, get good work done that they can be proud of. Can I talk a little bit about my background? Is that helpful? Of course. Please do. (laughs) I just feel like it's useful. So I started into higher ed right out of college. So I I left my job as an undergraduate um, at my alma mater and knew that I wanted to get into higher ed marketing, social media. And so, you know, back in 2014, that was a newer position. And so you weren't seeing as many pop up. Uh, And so I was just looking and digging around and looking at uh, what was available and what that kind of helped me realize was the variety of structures that existed in higher ed when it came to marketing and communications, um, namely being that marketing did not exist in many, many universities, uh, directories or any form of communication that they had out there. It was usually public affairs, communication, etc. And so that kind of immediately tipped me off to, okay, so that's maybe not a word that we use in this space. Um, and then the other bit is that I am a short female that is very bubbly and honestly looks like I'm 12. And so most of my life, (laughs) I've had to convince, I've had to kind of come into the situation and convince people that, you know, no, I'm here seriously, like, like, I'm a serious human, I swear. Um, And so that those two pieces kind of have always been in the back of my head. And so when I first started at my job now at Dartmouth, um, one of the things I quickly realized was that uh, the space that I was entering, there was a lot of good intentioned people, like people knew that social was important or valued, um, what was happening online. It was just bringing them into a conversation where they understood what that meant. And so, you know, at some, a lot of the conversations that I have with people, we talk about how we're the first people in our university or institution that is doing our type of job. Um, and that's something that I always like to remind people is that you're, 
you have to do a lot of education and you have to come at it from a way that isn't talking down to someone. Um, one thing that I always tell people to do is, you know, when you come into a new situation, you always see all of the mistakes or all of the things that you think could be done better. What you don't have is that context of why we're at that situation. And so, you know, that's something that I've always kind of talked to people about is, you know, when you go in and you're analyzing a situation or you're like, I do a lot of audits for people. And so, you know, when I'm writing up my audit, I try not to attack something as just a poor idea. I try to say like, so I noticed you do this and I'm curious, you know, what the background of this is. Um, is this something that you've tested out before and you noticed that this worked better for your audiences, et cetera? Because the, the other really quirky thing about social is that there is not one size fit all, fits all in this uh, industry. And so something that technically goes against best practices could actually work really well for a particular audience or the audience your, your institution is dealing with. And so the, the first kind of big pieces of advice that I like to tell people is one, prepare to be an educator um, and kind of, you know, save up materials that help break down what you're doing, that talk about it um, so that one, you're not the only voice in the room uh, so that they can see like, hey, this is not just what, this is not what Aaron thinks, this is what industry thinks. Um, and then also working with them to understand the context of decisions that have been made and reasons that things have been moving forward in a certain way so that you're not unintentionally causing tension in a situation because you're coming in as a new person, a new set of eyeballs and just ripping apart an idea that maybe someone cared a lot about and is really upset that it didn't come to, come together the way they thought it would come together or they maybe don't know another option is available. And so those are the two really big pieces of advice that I that I try to tell people because I've dealt with people that come in and, and you know, say all these things. And then when they hear the reasons of why decisions have been made, they're, they're, they usually are on the same page and say, oh, okay. And then now we can come together and figure out actually a solution to a problem versus, ooh, awkward, not going to work here. I've, I've had a lot of uh, really similar experience, you know, when I, when I worked specifically at a university with that whole like relationship management side of things, right? I mean, this this is good advice for any time you're working with other people. You generally don't want to make them feel stupid or bad about themselves or like that they're wrong. <laughs> um, you know, you can explain that in a lot of different ways. Some of it's power dynamics, like cool, if everyone feels good about themselves and they, you know, you make them feel good about themselves, you have a little bit more power in the situation. But I think, you know, if, uh, if you're a nicer person than I am, then you would think of it just in terms of this is how cooperation works, right? Like it's it, when everyone is happy, everyone works together. And I, I think, you know, I, I learned, I learned very similar lessons as I got into higher ed and uh, had a, you know, had a different path than, than you did, Aaron. But like, you know, I, I got into higher ed pretty much right after, right after college. And a lot of it was okay. I I worked for my alma mater, and I was like, I'm glad I made those relationships with these people when I was a student doing different leadership things. And now I need to just be careful to develop those in different ways, so that I I mean, because in some ways similar to you, I think anyone that comes in into a position as as a young adult coming just out of school, you know, you're you're gonna get a little bit of of that. Uh, well, for me, like at my alma mater, huh, he, I knew him as a student. He's still a student. You know, that's just kind of the mentality sitting there. You had you had the the short, bubbly female uh, thing working <laughs> at you at a new school, and, you know, and and just and just being youthful in general. Um, it's it's interesting to to try and find ways to. I think I think the education part 
is is interesting because it does kind of establish you as someone who's thoughtful and thinking through what what you're doing and then if you can manage those relationships around you that's it's even better yeah and i think that's something that comes up just in social media in general people assume that whoever's in that social media manager position is an intern or Mm. um less experienced let's say i i i am not the word bubbly would never be used to describe me but (laughs) you know people's demeanor changes dramatically versus emails i have prior to a meeting to after the meeting when i come in and you know i'm very professional and and knowledgeable about about my topic and and whatnot. And they go, Oh, wait a second. You're not just somebody we brought in off the street to run social media. You're not just somebody's nephew with a cell phone. You're, you know, you know what you're (laughs) doing. You're a real human with like training in this area. Right. Exactly. Uh, So, yeah, I think that's something we, we all have to overcome and that take takes time, but also takes doing that, that outreach and, and talking to people and, and, back to what you were saying, Aaron, definitely education. So what are some specific ways or, or I guess specific techniques that you've found to be helpful in terms of forging those relationships and, you know, helping, I guess, helping kind of like foster that, that sense of collaboration and that sense of, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's helping people find value in the work that they've done while also helping them to think how they can always be improving. I think you know, smart people always want to be improving themselves in general, and they want other people to think in those terms too, as we recognize that we're never, we're never at that level of perfection. But what, what's, uh, what's worked well for you in terms of, of fostering those relationships? One of the big things that I always do, both in my professional and personal life, is that I try to maintain the relationships outside of the asks. And so that's something that I've noticed. And and unfortunately, it can be a side effect of higher ed in general because so many of us are stretched thin is that the only interactions that you have with a coworker or a colleague is whenever you need something from them or they need something from you. And so, you know, I set up week uh, monthly meetings with a lot of our uh, main brand uh, managers around campus. So people, you know, manage the library accounts, the, the art centers, et cetera, so that even if we didn't have something to talk about, specifically at that meeting we would still have it um, and grab coffee and just kind of sometimes commiserate about what's like frustrating us with the career because so many of us were our only were the only person in our area that dealt with what we did and so those meetings kind of also turned into an opportunity to catch up on best practices just generally to share examples we've seen from institutions or um, even outside of industry and just kind of an opportunity to check in and and be with one another um connecting with someone that is doing what you do is beyond validating which i know you two know very well um and so it's it's maintaining those relationships where and when you can even if it's just a quick check-in that's something that i've been trying to do during all of this covid stuff particularly is you know at the beginning of every email i'm not just jumping right into hey i need this from you or i was wondering if you could or what are you doing about this i'm saying like hey I hope this email finds you and your loved ones healthy and well. Um, this is these are wild times, you know. Please let me know how I can help. And then I always end it with again saying like, stay safe, take care. Um, if there's anything I can do to help, or if this is too, if this is a lot for you to take on right now, please just let me know, and I'm happy to like figure out another solution. Because the thing that I am 
grateful for about this pandemic, which is interesting to say, and I always feel kind of a little weird, is that we're able to now see people with their different labels. And so, you know, you're having a meeting with someone while they're also bouncing their child on their lap to keep them entertained during the day because the other, their partner is on a phone call with their business. And so um, that's been something that's been really eye-opening to me. And I'm, I'm trying to incorporate that more and more into, okay, you know, I'm notorious for sending emails after hours because I just, if I think of something, I have to send it or else I'll forget. And so what I've been trying to do is if I'm on my desktop or my laptop, I try and schedule it for the next day during work hours. If it's not an emergency um, or it's not information someone's waiting on me for, just so that it's they're not getting a notification and feeling, even if it's not something they have to respond to, they feel pulled into that moment. Um, or if I'm sending it from my phone, which I haven't found a good way to schedule that from my phone, I put... My poor social media manager, Breland, it has received so many of these, and it's usually in caps. You do not need to read this right now. This has this is not important at all. This is just a <laughs> random thought I had, and I needed to get onto paper before I forgot. And, like, that's the subject line. Because I don't want them to feel like, okay, I not only is am I requi- required to be doing work after hours, but I need to be checking even if there isn't something going on in the event that something pops up. Because I have a way to reach them in the case of an emergency. And so I don't want these emails and these little interactions to be seen as as after hour asks when they're really not. It's just because I'm a forgetful person. Um, and when an idea comes to me, I have to get it out or else who knows when it'll come back. And so that's been a, that's been very specific for me as, you know, remembering that these other human that these people are humans. And even if something weird happens or there's awkward tension that. There's a million reasons why that could have been awkward or uh, like a weird moment and that most of the time it probably has nothing to do with you. It could be that they are getting pressure from somewhere else in their job or from home or whatever um, and that, you know, it just came out in a shorter answer to you or they're running doing a million things and so their email was three, set, three words versus their normal um, longer email. And so that those are the two things, as you know, maintaining those connections outside of just the ask and then also remembering people are human and and even if it isn't an ask maintaining that human connection that you're you're kind of in this together and you both realize that there's a lot being asked of you or there's a lot going on and and you both are trying to work together to usually a similar conclusion or solution yeah i think that's really important especially right now everybody working remotely and kind of on different time schedules and and i think as so many of us are are new to working remotely, there's a lot of pressure to be responsive when when we get that to to let you know our supervisors know, hey, we're we're here, we're paying attention, you know, I'm, I've got my phone phone out while walking to the, to my mailbox, um, yeah. but you know, I, I think it is good to have supervisors set those reasonable expectations and say, you know, that this is not, I'm sending it to you now, but don't deal with it now, like. I, that that sort of that level of communication, I think, is very important. Or or even just a Slack message, like if you can't get back to somebody right away, you know, oh. you you, you kind of chat back and forth, and then suddenly there's like a giant gap because somebody, you know, that's happened to me, you know, they need to go tend to 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 the three year old for a little bit, and there's a gap, and they're just a little quick little <laughs> brb, you know, uh, back b- back to that yeah. those ICQ AOL Instant Messenger early early two thousands chat abbreviations. We might need we we need to bring some of those back. Like I I need a I just a little AFK. I don't want to even tally how many hours I spent designing my away messages and info. Oh yes. Like during that time period. That was oh, like yes. my favorite time of my life was like, oh I'm gonna do rainbow colors and all these things. Um that be like the other thing is that 
like you were just mentioning how you like people sometimes disappear for a little while. I am notorious for typing out a message and then never hitting send. Like I've gone back to text messages or emails or I'll close out my email for the day and I'll I'll like close all my windows and there will be three emails or three text messages or whatever that I just never hit send on because I in the middle of it and a notification caught my attention or, you know, something happened behind me that like drew me away. And the next thing I know, it's buried. Um, and so like that's the other thing that I'm I like have been trying been try- kind of been really clear with my team about is that if I haven't gotten back to you on something please ping me because there's a very good chance that it's sitting right there and I did not hit send or that like it got buried in a bunch of other emails and I don't want to hold you up because, you know, a lot of the times what they need from me is a quick review or a quick kind of like looks good. Let's go with this or yes, this look, this is right or no, let's try this. Um, so it takes totally like five minutes, but it, it, those things typically get will get buried in email. So that's the other piece of it is figuring out that system of how do I appropriately ping someone again to re-engage them. And I do want to say that if you're on the flip side of a relationship and you're not a supervisor and you're having trouble figuring out where um, kind of the boundaries are, don't be afraid to ask. That's been something that I know that I've talked to my team about is saying, you know, if there's ever something that you're unclear about um, or if I'm doing something that give like I don't not anxiety but you know makes you feel like you have to respond and and we may not be on the same page about something like please let me know like you are please set the pace and let me know what is reasonable for you and what makes sense for me and I will then meet you and compromise and say like okay this makes sense but I do need to switch with you on and off for after hours and stuff like that and so don't be afraid to lead that conversation because again um, for a lot of us we're working with people that don't know truly how marketing or social media works. And so like when we say that we're on 24 seven, we mean that we're on 24 seven. If we're not checking, like even if we're not checking our phone, like John said, we're, we have it in our pocket on the way to the mailbox. Or like for me, I answer a lot of emails when I'm like on a walk or just like walking to the kitchen. And so, you know, I, I just am always, I have it ready and always on. Um, and that's a, that's a habit I've developed because of the way social media interacts and works within my life and so being able to set those boundaries and work with your supervisor to bring them on board and to a better understanding of what that looks like in your life will help them set way better um, boundaries for both of you and to be they'll it'll increase their their mindfulness of it in the moments when things are happening yeah yeah especially as we're going through you know so many varieties right now i've got one group on slack a group me how many slack channels um you know base camp click up you know five yeah some people want to use email some i've got one folk guy that's just texting me <laughs> you know getting everybody on board with with streamlining some of these communications can be really difficult and knowing what people's preferences are and remembering oh, that yeah. is, is just, it's too much for a lot of people to handle. Yeah. But let, let's shift gears here for a second. And one thing we're recording this on, on a Wednesday, you've got a webinar tomorrow, which this podcast probably won't be out in time to, to promote. But... It might be. It's actually later today. Oh, oh then it it's, definitely won't be out. No. Come on. <laughs> what, what day is it? Again? It'll be out tomorrow. There's one today that I'm hosting for my college and then I am doing one tomorrow oh, for uh, EDU web. So, so that, 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 that sags very well because I'm going to say you do a lot of webinars and conferences yes. and you put yourself out there professionally. You do podcasts like this one you, and, and you've gone quickly from being a, a fresh voice in the field to, to, to a leading expert. I, and I think you're, you're putting yourself out there with 
presenting at conferences and 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 these webinars and these sort of things outside your regular job duties. And I think that's very important, not just professionally, but specifically in higher ed, where we're working with a lot of people that are of the mindset of publish or perish. You know, a lot of faculty who you know, you 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 present, you you share your knowledge. So that can be a little intimidating to people just starting out in the field. But I I advocate for it, and I think it's really important. How do you, would you and how do you encourage your team to take part in, in in sharing their knowledge with the the greater professional community? For me, it's always been a great way to get my thoughts onto paper. So that's something that, like you said, publish or perish. Like that's something that these things will sit in my brain and I will think them and I will like, and, and you know, work them out in my head and figure out all these different things, but I won't put them onto paper because for the longest time, you know, again, I was the only person. So there was no one that really needed them except for me. And so as long as they were in my head or jotted down on a notebook, like I was good to go. And so what I, with presentations and conferences that forced me to, to kind of organize my thoughts in a way that even if I wasn't selected to speak, um, helped me process and and kind of nail down what exactly the like nut graph of my project or this or this idea or this strategy or policy was, which to me was incredibly helpful. So that's like my number one thing is see conference proposals and opportunities to talk about your work as a way to boil it down to what is really driving what you're doing. Um, for instance, I was just on a webinar last week and even though I've been talking about it a lot, it really didn't, I really didn't, it didn't click to me until I was talking through it, uh, practicing for that webinar was that a lot of what I'm doing right now, um, is social care and thinking about our audiences and trying not to overwhelm them or overstimulate them with information that they may not need to know. So we're boiling down exactly what we need to get out there. Um, so we're not just adding another place of content that you know is only maybe sometimes relevant to me and so until I had that like practice session I hadn't it it was in there like that's what we were doing but I hadn't put words to it and so those the conferences and the webinars really helped me with that Um, and then the other bit of it is and this is totally selfish but um, it helps me connect with first of all like people like you like I would not have been going to conferences had I not started one, attending them and and just getting a feel for them, but also just submitting to talk Um, because a lot of the times, you know, it made it more accessible for me to go speaking or volunteering. Um, So that's another thing that I think conferences and webinars really help out with is is connecting with people that then when you're off the air or you're not presenting, you have the opportunity to open up another conversation and just, for instance, like um, Meg, Bernier Kenningston from St. Lawrence. I met her when I was presenting at a conference 2013, I want to say. And like our relationship has become so wonderful over the course of the year. And we mostly only interact at conferences. And so it's, it's another opportunity in my experience to interact and get more resources. Um, And so that's been kind of the two driving forces behind it. And the other thing that I like to say is that especially in higher ed, our campuses and our universities are so unique and our audiences are so unique, even though, you know, there is a lot of similarities that we can quickly identify that your story and that and your work and your information is most likely different than mine. And what you're doing is different than what I'm doing, whether it's slightly or a big difference. And I will always be able to learn something from you because your audience and the way that you approach things and the goals of your institution although probably sound similar, are different than mine. And so you always have something to offer someone to, to learn 
from you. And so that's that's the other thing is that that's a really great part of higher ed is that everything is so different and the same at this at, at the exact same time that you can offer advice about what you're doing and someone can hear it and and think about it and process it and then take it back to their own universities and apply it in a different way, but a way that makes sense to their university and audience. Well, Aaron, you and I met at confab edu because we were we were uh moderating a, a session room or whatever, like a track room or something like yeah that. oh yeah <laughs> i've been around i've been around the conference world i like that's the other thing i volunteer all the time because that also gets me an opportunity to just attend and and see the behind the scenes and meet new people so like volunteering met you yeah it's just it's a blast. Well, I think, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of a lot of us on the outside, you know, that aren't you yeah. uh, notice about you is that you do have confidence. And I think that's probably something that goes to that that third point that you made. It's that I think there, you know, people talk a lot about imposter syndrome in higher ed. I'm not a person that struggles with that <laughs> personally very often <laughs> at all. I appreciate your honesty in that. <laughs> <laughs> But I, but I think, you know, I think part of it, and when I, like when I've taught college classes in the past, or I think even, you know, different conference talks that I've given, a lot of times I try to instill this value of, or this message of you have, you have value, the stuff that you think about has value, the stuff that you do has value. It just takes a little bit of confidence and a little bit of courage to go out and start talking about it. And, yeah. and those are the things that going, going back to your first point within this, like you were saying, when, when we teach stuff, when we, or when we talk about the stuff that, that we have been thinking about, that we've been working through, that we have been practicing, and especially when we're sharing that with others, it's, it's a teaching process. And we do find out uh, you know, a lot more of, or, or we, we find new ways to talk about the stuff that we've been doing. And I think there's, you know, te teachers always talk about how they learn more from teaching their students than they think their students learn from them and that sort of a thing. And I've, I've definitely found the same true when I'm putting together a talk, it a lot of times either generates a lot more thoughts in a totally different direction. And it opens up some new pathways to thinking about and, and practicing the the work that I do, but I think it also is one of those things that, you know, very much teaches me how to, how to better communicate with people. It helps me formalize and condense or, or yeah, I guess condense what I'm, what I'm thinking already so that I can be a little bit more precise and leaves a lot more room, hopefully to more clearly, more clearly communicate the work that I'm doing to people. So I think, yeah, I think those are all super valuable. I, I think all of that comes along with a very, you know, just just trying to find a little bit of confidence to to believe in yourself you know <laughs> and i will say that one of the best ways to gain that confidence is to have a conversation with someone that is is either at your institution and kind of far enough away mm -hmm. from you that they wouldn't have kind of insider knowledge of if what you're doing so that if you say something and it doesn't quite make sense they can't fill in the blanks is to have a conversation with someone in the space and kind of just say hey you know, and I'm happy to be that for anyone. Like if you ever want to run through an idea and, and talk through a proposal, I am more than happy to listen. Um, this totally comes from like, I think my FOMO and some other things, but I like being an insider. So I'm always happy to listen. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I'm, it's good to run it through with someone else and even just one person to provide a little bit of feedback. Like I will, I'll say like, I shared an office with this wonderful woman named Hannah for most of my career at Dartmouth and we just recently broke up, but that's okay. Um, 
and uh you know i would literally just read her emails i would i would say you know this is what i'm thinking about saying and she'd say uh that sounds good but that doesn't sound good and or if i was hemming and hawing about something she'd be like okay stop it you know that you can do this and it was like the most useful like little voice on my shoulder that i had to like literally shut up all of the imposter syndrome (laughs) because i definitely struggle with that and she like she'd just come in and say no what's wrong with you like she would yell at me and i would yell at her that was our relationship so we were like we would just make sure that the other one realized what they really were worth and that they weren't getting in their own way um and if we had to be a little bit argumentative slash aggressive about it we were fine with that because it worked for us um but it's really good to have that that just even one other person to kind of go to regularly and say like can you gut check me on this am i is this right? Is this wrong? Or am I overthinking things? And while we're on the the topic of imposter syndrome, let's let's talk about that. But w- what I I think is one of the leading causes of imposter syndrome among social media folks and 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 higher ed, and one of the biggest frustrations that I hear about, and I have personally sometimes when I I, I talk to to folks who I admire and I look up to, you, like 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 you, Aaron, and and, and others in in higher ed that while they might be speaking to like packed rooms at conferences and rent, winning red staplers and writing posts and, and go and for industry publications and going on podcasts. And I sit down and talk to them. They all have the same complaint that while their work is amazing, they have trouble getting people at their own university to listen to them and take their advice. How, how do we get, get around that? There's that, um, somebody described it to me recently as the hundred mile rule that sometimes university leadership won't listen to you unless you come uh come from a hundred miles away or being paid a hundred thousand dollars to you know uh so <laughs> how do, how do we get our own leadership and not not when i say leadership i don't just mean the president but in provost but you know all the way down to like you know director level to to listen and take our advice sometimes i think it goes a bit back to what joel said with the confidence um and that's something that you know is is definitely a learned thing that I've had. Um, and, and what that kind of has helped me do is since beginning at Dartmouth, um, I tried to get into as many meetings that I thought would be helpful or informational to me. And I, and I wouldn't always speak. I would just listen and consume information so that whenever I would have a conversation, I would have that background information so that they didn't feel like I didn't ask, not, I don't want to say a stupid question, but kind of a question that the answer could have been easily found or they felt that I should know. And so I tried to alleviate that by just kind of consuming and, and embracing as much knowledge, which helped me, I think, definitely um, start to get more involved in things because I already had knowledge and they didn't have to bring me up to speed in meetings. The other thing that I really uh, try to do when it comes to getting buy-in is is come prepared and and I've talked about this a little bit in my different conference talks is that it's it's again really useful to bring information that is relevant not only from yourself but from outside sources um, prepare some sort of example so one of the biggest hurdles that I come across is people not be, being unable to envision what you're talking about and so if you can find an example that kind of lends itself to what you're talking about, or even puts a mock-up together very quickly, um, that's super helpful. And and I think there's still going to be those hurdles that you come up, come up against where they, they still want to take the advice of an expert that's outside. I, you can see it, but I put air quotations. That's outside of your institution because people, people rightfully put weight behind an outside perspective, but also that takes away the insider knowledge that you have of your institution. 
And I think it's it's really important to also keep track of when of your wins. And so that's something that I've started for myself as well as I've encouraged my team to start is that when something you do does well, take a screenshot of it. Or if someone comments back and says, wow, this is exactly what I needed or this is this is everything that I really asked for, take a screenshot of it and keep a folder. Um, and then that way, whenever you're either doubting yourself or there's there's questions about expertise, you can say, hey, I've done something like this before for this institution or for another institution. And here's the responses that I got, because I found that like when I wanted to bring that up, I, I would have to go dig for it. And by the time I would dig it up, it would be like, oh, missed my chance. But if I'm able to provide those examples quickly, um, I was able to demonstrate that, hey, I'm not just pulling this out of wherever. I'm actually speaking on experience that you may not have had the chance to learn about me. Um, and so those have been successful for me. But I will say the biggest the biggest kind of reminder is that when you're at a conference, um, you're in a room of people that understand what you do. Uh, and when you're back in your home office, you're surrounded by people who kind of know what you do or may know a little bit more um, about what you do. But generally, that education piece, like it just keeps coming back to education, is educating where you can and when you can about the work that we're doing so that when those moments come up, they, they've they started to kind of associate you with, oh, video, I go to this person for that, or, oh, social, I go to JS for that. And so that's been the most successful is, you know, trying to align my name with these topics on campus through that education piece. That's awesome. awesome. Oh. Jinx. <laughs> oh, this is this has been great. Yeah, Aaron, thank you so much. I have learned a ton, especially things I can can take back and use in some of the relationship building I'm trying to do on campus and continue to yes. to do and it's something personally I think I know I struggle with sometimes. So so getting your perspective has been really super valuable. And again, thank you so much for having me. Um I've been trying to get out and do other things that aren't related to COVID because I feel like that's consumed my life. And so this has been such like, these things have been such a breath, a, like breath of fresh air for me. Aaron, thank you so much for being with us as well. We enjoyed it. And I think, I think honestly, your insights will help a lot of, uh, a lot of the folks that have been asking us, what do I do when I'm new? Like, how do I gain ground? Was... I, I picked up a lot that I can use as well. So thank you. As always a pleasure. To talk to you. Thank you for having me. As always, thank you for listening to the Thought Feeder podcast. If you don't subscribe yet, please visit thoughtfeederpod.com. If you don't follow us on Twitter, we're at ThoughtFeedPod. You can also follow me personally at Joel Goodman and my co-host John Steven Stancil at JS Stancil on Twitter. Thought Feeder is hosted by Joel Goodman and John Steven Stancil and edited by Joel Goodman. You can find Thought Feeder wherever you get your podcasts. Thought Feeder is sponsored by University Insight.